0: Welcome to Season 1 of Liminal Spaces Podcast. My name is Debbie. Here we talk about the impact of liminal spaces in our lives, why they matter, and how we can navigate and thrive when we bump up against them. Today, I am joined by Patrick Dutson to talk about life through COVID 19 and how to reimagine the future. In this conversation, Patrick shares his wisdom and perspective on how we can approach the liminal space season the COVID-19 pandemic has launched us into, and reimagining the future through the lens of identity, creativity, storytelling, and community. Patrick is an author, chef, and speaker, amongst other things. His background and experiences working with young people from all around the globe spans over three decades. He has written a number of books, and even though none of them has anything to do with managing a global pandemic, he has been through the mill, so to speak, and has a healthy perspective on how we can develop our inner world in such a way as to cope with the outer world. Patrick is originally from California, USA, but currently lives and works in New Zealand. Welcome to the show, Patrick. I have been looking forward to this conversation.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's um, it's always nice to be able to reflect, and I'm afraid my voice isn't working so well. I think that's one of the downsides of being in, in lockdown here in New Zealand, is that you don't talk to anybody or go out and do anything. So... I find yeah. that when I don't, my uh, my voice goes all smoky and soft like this. Um, but yeah, no, there hasn't been any whiskey or cigarettes involved at all. This is just natural.
0: <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> so, how long has the lockdown been in New Zealand?
1: Well, they started on March twenty fourth. So they the theory was to go fast and go hard, and they mm. did. Um, as of today, I think we have about one thousand four hundred and fifty six cases. And 12 people have died, um, all in their 60s and 70s and 80s, which is still horrible for their families. But it's an astonishing um, result for a population of almost 5 million where they Mm. literally put us all in quarantine as soon as they could. And um, the numbers have plummeted down to yesterday it was six cases, today it was five cases, um, I imagine by uh, this time next week, it'll be zero cases per day found, mm-hmm. and they're just managing that. So they, they went hard and fast, and uh, it's been a month now. We come into what they call level three next week, which is um, where it's similar isolation, but businesses can open up. They can do um, deliveries and you know, mm-hmm. pay and collect outside contactless transactions. Um, okay. So... 400,000 more people will go back to work. It's been a very different strategy from almost every other country on the planet. But um, the government's been very supportive um, in terms of wage subsidies and uh, helping people out where they needed it and uh, supplying money directly to businesses so businesses could continue to employ their Mm -hmm. workers uh, or at least continue to pay their employees while they're on furlough or waiting for business to start up again. So it's an extraordinary... Leadership under Jacinda Ardern and um, and her mm-hmm. government that uh, has given us some amazing results so far.
0: Yeah, well, that sounds really good. I haven't heard positive response about like corona, so it's really good to hear. So two weeks ago, you wrote an article that was published on Crocs that really caught my attention, and I was really moved and inspired by some of the ideas that you shared. What inspired you to write it?
1: I think looking around the world, you know, aside from the fake news of uh, dolphins, you know, swimming in the canals near Venice or, um, you know, these things where the world all of a sudden started breathing again. I think in a sense, that's partially true. I started thinking about the rebooting nature of a crisis or um, even the name of your podcast, you know, the liminal spaces, the the Mm -hmm. Latin root of that is to be on a threshold. And I think it's, It's not just; it could be considered as a thin space as well, where you're really considering what's going on and what's going on around you. And especially here in Queenstown, where tourism drives ninety percent of the economy, it's a bit of a circus. So there's always something happening. There's probably Mm -hmm. twenty thousand residents and fifty thousand visitors on any given day. um, Some two plus million a year. So it can it can just have its own momentum such Mm -hmm. that it's so distracting and so um, uh, active that you don't pause you don't take time to think you don't look at the future you don't consider what's going on around you i mean we're Mm -hmm. surrounded by beautiful nature so people do get out on their bikes and walks and head up mountains and you have that opportunity but it's almost more um, inherited the idea of adrenaline rather than contemplation although you know Mm -hmm. everybody does their own thing when they're here but having the whole city the whole country the whole world stop like that where mm. you see entry ro- empty roads and you see um people at home spending time with their families you, you see it in a sense a, a kind of a pause and a rebooting opportunity but the rebooting has to be um preceded by the ability to stop and consider and mm. i guess watching that happened all over the world made me do the same and think about the place that I live and the community I'm in and how that community drives forward with the economy. Um, it made me rethink about those things.
0: Two thoughts that you shared really stuck out to me and that's the idea that you didn't minimize the impact of COVID-19 or the pandemic. I really appreciated that. And the ideas that you suggested were really connected to what was already happening in the community. I thought that that really inspired me to go, okay, how do you think about the future? When we think, oh, we want to be creative moving forward, That it's not necessarily something that has to come, you know, something that is foreign and comes from the outside, but we can look at what we have around us or what we have skill or interest or passions for, and then work from that. So I really, really loved it.
1: A lot of places around the world that are naturally gifted with a particular thing that drives the economy or the community engagement in that area. And because Queenstown, New Zealand has um, beautiful microclimates, it has um, amazing uh, Alps, it has fjords, it has Um, summer, winter, all year long, there's something going on here. Uh, And so in a sense, that almost predicts the economy based on tourism. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, there are lots of places that do amazing things around the world, simply because somebody, you know, just decided to put that school there or start that business there, or whatever it was, they were born there, or they visited and loved it, and and they just started something. So that's what struck me about the idea of economic diversity. It doesn't have to be based on the the um the obvious resources, mm-hmm. but more kind of looking deeper at the natural resources, or in this case, the um the ancient Maori, which is the indigenous people of New Zealand, their consideration of this area was that um it was always a place to come and rest and be restored. And mm-hmm. you know, when you just think of that, you think, well that could be um rehabilitation centers uh, around sports medicine or that could be the culinary institute idea that i was thinking of where food and, and nutrition is a part of um kind of renewal and health development so looking a bit further afield and seeing what the natural resources are and and also the idea that somebody could simply say you know i i've always loved uh Um, mountain bikes and i can do mountain biking here why don't i why don't i build a mountain bike here you know even though that might be better served manufactured in china or california or wherever but just because a person can dream it and imagine it um they could design it here um as i mentioned that specialized do in california and have their their bike uh, motor their e-bike motors made in Cham, switzerland so that whole diversity and rebooting and um Consideration of the resources of the area broader than the obvious, I guess, is what inspired those particular ideas in the article.
0: Mm, It's amazing. So you're an author. Actually, that's how I first came in contact with you, because I read two of your books, Psychotic Inertia and The Identity Project. Eight years ago now. Since then, I've kind of become an evangelist for the books because I, I use it with my students. I share it with my friends and family. So I think the ideas in the book are so powerful, and they've been they've influenced the way I see life and approach. Like, share a little bit about your background and the work that you do. Like, what has inspired you up to this moment to share those ideas in the books, particularly?
1: It's a good question. Um, I have to fill out some application papers for a bachelor's in psychology that I'm applying for here in New Zealand um, because I've never studied formally. I barely made my way through high school, um, didn't really have a clue as to what I wanted to do and how I could go about learning formal education and I never really got along well. So um, (laughs) it was really uh, an applied life or an applied learning uh, situation with a lot of non-formal education at the center of that. So, you know, getting out into the world uh, with Youth with a Mission and being part of the University of the Nations for quite some time, um, mm-hmm. it gave me exposure literally to thousands of people who were coming out of high school trying to figure out what to do with their lives. Those thousands of conversations and teaching opportunities kind of spoke out the um, the outline of those books to me as I progressed in the different courses that I developed um, starting off with some basic um, discipleship courses, but then quickly moving on into design, photography, interactive media mm-hmm. design, marketing, as you know, yeah. uh, these different things seemed to be um, areas of study that were a natural connection between the questions that these students were asking and the application, but they mm-hmm. needed some education along the way that would help facilitate their dreams, their identity, their, um, their possible futures. And mm. so I guess it was those conversations and uh, in about 30 different countries around the world, which gave me the frameworks for, um, firstly, the book, Psychotic Inertia, which is mostly about helping people understand the difference between God telling somebody what to do and them collaborating in their mm. spiritual relationship between both who they are as people the actual needs in the world and what they know about um, the nature and character of God as well. And -hmm. then that kind of led to a more specific approach to what is identity or what is an identity-based calling? How do you Mm -hmm. know who you are and what you want to do? You know, there's some very simplistic questions asked along the way in childhood, like, what do you want to be? And that usually calls out a one career answer because of that career orientation being, at the fore of our western world i don't know if that's so true in other cultures but definitely in the western world Mm -hmm. the idea is that you grow up to do one thing when in reality we're we're capable of so many things and i think our at our best when we sim when we assimilate a number of different things that are true about us and create something new in the world so that's where the identity project came through now it's a matter of putting that to work in different seasons of my own life because what I found is that even that doesn't nail down a life's calling or career necessarily because we're dynamic as people and the world's dynamic and we can constantly, you know, switch that up. And like I said, I'm about to start formal studies in psychology now, so it's time for another season.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. I think one of the major threats that I see running through those books in particular, and even your TEDx talk, it's the idea that we can create our future. I think that that's so fascinating share. What makes you believe that?
1: I guess part of that is cultural. Like in America, and I grew up in California on the West Coast, you're sort of told that you could do anything. And you you're, tr- you're raised to believe in yourself. You're raised to believe in your dreams. I mean, there's some conflicting information because once you get into school, that starts to get narrowed very quickly into that career orientation or a path either where the money is or Mm -hmm. um, a particular field your family wants you to enter into, like medicine or architecture or whatever. It's very rare that the the dream of the individual and their education or their upbringing are actually fostered together. Usually Mm -hmm. there's tension, I think, for most people that they know that they're their imagination and their identity could lead them to so many different directions, but very quickly, they meet the world of pressure and um, education that that narrows that in. In fact, I think the French word where career comes from means a horse horse on a narrow path. And Mm. that's typically what we get educated towards, whether that's um, for an economic outcome or status outcome. Um, Mm. But, Having said all that, I think California is a broad thinking environment and you're raised to sort of think that way. My mom always said, you know, you can be president if you want to. And I think I think a lot of moms and dads say that to their kids. Um, yeah. That's right before they tell them to get good grades and, you know, standardized testing and, and stuff that ruins all that. Maybe yeah. this is why we get the presidents we do. But uh, for me, I guess I, I kept running into the tension Of that, up against, like I said, these thousands of young people that I would constantly be meeting and seeing that they held that tension in them as well, where Mm -hmm. they either their faith was limiting their imagination and their possible outcomes, whether their education was or their culture. And um, it just seemed to me that the power of an individual's identity, and by identity, I mean uh, kind of a complex relationship of. Uh, different things in their themselves for instance their personalities their intellect mm-hmm. their skills their passions um, things I like to call a, a mix of their I am statements what's true about them as people mm-hmm. and um, if you take intelligences and personality and dreams and um, various traits pe- people have done personality testing like Enneagram or string yeah. finders and that sort of thing that you really could develop a very broad map. And you would have seen a little bit of this in that Ted talk that shows that we're not that one thing like firemen or doctor, where we're a wide range of identity um, truths about us. And mm-hmm. I kept seeing that over and over again, these people as well. And I thought, man, there, there's so much potential there. And it's mm-hmm. really being squandered or squashed through these, these institutions, not necessarily, but even just cultures or family systems. And, um, that's what kind of inspired me to think that, you know, when you do look at some people who have put these identity pieces to work in their lives, they're usually the ones that dropped out of school like Steve Jobs and, you know, Richard Branson. And, and they're the ones that have created stuff that nobody even knew they needed yet. Um, for instance, I drive an electric car that, um, you know, an entire, uh, industry, the automobile automobile industry, failed to create for decades, which they, they could have done. The thing that I'm driving isn't anything um, mm. innovative in the sense that it's a new technology. It's that somebody, in this case, Elon Musk, thought outside of the box and decided that he wanted to build an electric car with an amazing team of people, of course. So mm. that kind of potential, you kept seeing them you know, spiced throughout the world. And they weren't the ones necessarily just making all the money. They were the ones doing very cool things. And I mm-hmm. guess seeing that both on one side, the wall that people were hitting and on the other the possibility of not necessarily creative individuals as though, you know, only artistic people get to do that, but creative in the sense that they tapped into the identity and they put it to work and, and assimilated a number of different things that were true about them and made something new in the world. That um, that gave me a sense of, uh, I guess, priority and hope and um, urgency even to pursue that, that line of thinking.
0: Yeah. And it's really powerful, I think, because when I started to explore like liminal space seasons, you know, you can be creative in those moments. So you can um, have a healthy perspective and you can wait well. I believe that for me, it's kind of this reoccurring um, theme that comes up. And that's the belief in, in me that I can create. It's possible to think outside the box, like you'd mentioned. It's possible to not just think I'm creative, but make choices and decisions that um, express that belief into a tangible reality. So I think that that gives a really healthy perspective on times of transition or change or waiting. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think that's I think that sort of segues nicely into what's happening with COVID-19 right now. Um you know, getting into that liminal space is a lot of work if the environment around you is continuing at pace if you have the inertia of momentum moving you in a certain direction the ability to pause mm-hmm. and say you know, I'm going to push back the influences of things that are going on around me. I'm going to create some room to be in this space. I mean, there's still the challenge of understanding what your own creativity is and your identity and how you put all that to work, or even the knowledge that you can do that and you need to create space for yourself to do that. That's Mm -hmm. all the challenge right there. Um, So that's just hard work in the normal working day world. But in a situation like this, and... I don't mean to call it a gift in the sense that people aren't suffering, but for most of us, the ability to have this pause even put upon us to mm. naturally then find ourselves without distraction because we're not allowed or the world has stopped and there is no more distraction. And once you you know scroll through Facebook ad Infinitum, or you've watched your last binge Netflix setting mm-hmm. or session, you know, you get to the place where you're like, well, man, I, I maybe I should be considering some stuff here. And yeah. and if you're not intentional, this will make it intentional for you. But, I mean, ideally, mm-hmm. the best scenario is where you're making an intentional space for yourself to do that. But it ain't easy for a lot of yeah. people. And this situation, in a sense, presents itself to us to be able to do just that.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about creativity. One quote that I really love and I have used over and over from you, I think it's from your book, Psychotic Inertia, is you say, it's not a question if someone is creative or not. It's a question of how they're creative. And I find that really interesting. So share with us a little bit about your thoughts around creativity. How would you define it?
1: It's a great question, Um, especially when you're faced with an opportunity to express it or even a crisis where you have to think in a new way because the old way isn't gonna suit anymore. Like I said, Mm -hmm. especially here in Queenstown where most of the business was um, tourism, um, you've gotta rethink now that that's literally taken away from you, what do you do now? Mm -hmm. And I think the first thing is to face the stigma about creativity and that stigma is that an artist is creative, um, the person who collects the garbage isn't creative. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are definitely people that are creative and creative is always mapped out in artistic. or sometimes in design areas like product design or architecture, industrial mm-hmm. design, they're considered creative. A business manager, a person working at a store, running a cafe, kind of ish if the if the cafe is designed nicely, you know, but but you yeah. start drifting away from the idea that this person is or not creative. And I think that is a stigma. Um, not necessarily from any direct cultural message, message, uh, maybe a little bit through schooling and education, they start to delineate, these are the arts, these aren't. This is the Bachelor Mm -hmm. of Science, this is the Bachelor of Arts, you know, and they start to break apart as to, um, you know, math logical versus intrapersonal intelligences. There's all these definitions that sort of kind of, in a sense, create these divides. And I think that creates a stigma. So in a time where you are, it literally set aside like now, the first thing to face down is this idea of creativity being only for the artist. So coming back to your question, the the definition of creativity to me is the ability to make something hopefully unique, but not necessarily from your own identity. So if you look at that identity and in particular with me having an interpersonal intelligence, Uh, not necessarily well read, but loves words, um, likes to write poetry, not well, but as a way of expressing those words, loves talking and working with people as a way of connecting with them, but also facilitating them. There's a Mm -hmm. number of different things that I could look at my identity and go, well, there's a lot of aspects here. Um, What can I make with that? Could Mm -hmm. I make a book? Could I make a podcast? Could I make a relationship? Could I make a small business? There are a number of different ways I could make things with that identity, and that to me would be creativity. Um, Mm. It it doesn't necessarily have to be a unique book or cafe or small business. It can be similar to other people's things, but that I made it myself makes me creative in a very basic sense. Um, Mm. I think once a person can tap into that, and then map that not just to a one-to-one translation like, I like words, I should be a writer, or I like working with people, I should be a preschool teacher, but to really put a number of their identity traits together to think, what could I do if I put A, B, and C together? What might D look like or what might Y look like? And, And I think that's when it actually starts to feel creative for the person because then they do start to... Not necessarily think out of the box of their own identity, but outside of the box of what's being done around them, typically, because still most people tend to be working on a one to one translation of I like children, I should be a teacher sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing thought, I think. And when it comes to creativity as well. It seems to be the case that it's not just for ourselves. like when we, when we when we take a creative step or make a decision to create something that's not meant to just be for ourselves, I think that there's an element of community. And so when I think back to your article, you talked about how you know there's a group of chefs in, in Queensland, Queensland.. Queensland. Queenstown that could collaborate and do different things together what would be your your thoughts around like being creative but also thinking about like your bigger community so the the environment around you the people that you're surrounded with
1: yeah that's another good question because it sort of pushes past the stigma of creativity being an individual artistic activity into the context of creativity and I Mm -hmm. think If we only think of artists or writers, largely individuals making things within themselves, as those are creative and the other, say, city councilors aren't, then we're missing the part of context. And so if you take what's going on around me in Queenstown, I just think, what can I do creatively? I might just, you know, take a critical eye and write things, you know, snobby articles or something like that about what's happening. When instead, if I go, actually, I just finished and I did a cookbook with uh, one of these amazing chefs, it was his cookbook, I just shot it and helped him design it, and put it together. It was mm-hmm. that context that drew out something of both him and I and mm-hmm. a number of other people that were got, got involved from the people doing the hardcover book binding to the editing, to the illustrations that went into the book, to his pastry chef that joined him. Um, The Mm -hmm. context of community then created a thing I couldn't do on my own, he couldn't do on his own. And so I think the community question is great because it then draws into context. What does my individual abilities, not ability, but abilities, plural, Mm -hmm. what can I bring to other people's abilities so that together and then together on top of that, and then with somebody else start to multiply that possibility. And, you know, I think oftentimes there is somebody who pioneers or spearheads some project and they just sort of drive it forward and everybody else just kind of has to get into the wake and follow the, the line. But I mm-hmm. think when something's really outstanding, it's usually when you have a combination of people who understand what gifts they're bringing to the table and can work on those things together.
0: Hmm. Like, you know, in this season, there are a lot of people that kind of been really hit hard by, like, the uncertainty of these times and how certain it's happened. And I think different ones of us respond to the, the change differently. I I think for myself, for example, I live in Sweden. We haven't had a lockdown. And so the way I'm experiencing this whole pandemic is quite different from my family back in Nigeria, my friends in Switzerland. What would be a good way to spend your time right now and to think about time in the sense of we recognize that things have changed and we need to create toward the future. But right now, like what would be some good ways to approach this liminal spaces that we're all in
1: yeah good question the opportunity that's given to us even though this has been a horrible pandemic um has been to kind of get off the treadmill and look at print for instance productivity itself and how productive am i being or even creative am i being i guess you could ask the same question and you know i have to pay this mortgage or i have to pay these bills or I, I want to you know, move myself forward in my career. There's definitely a treadmill that's happened um, in our lives uh, for, for different motivations for each one of us, of course. But the ability to get off of that just for a moment and reevaluate what's going on, I think, is, is really, I don't know, I don't, I'm just calling it a gift is probably a bad idea. But it's <laughs> definitely the possibility and even, I think, the necessity in front of us because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, the earth isn't doing well. We definitely weren't prepared for this sort of thing, even though we've had SARS and mares and, and, uh, and um, swine flu. It's a sign, swine flu SARS? I think it was.
0: But anyway, yeah. we've
1: had three pretty bad viruses. You know, why weren't we prepared? What aren't we doing as um, nations, as cultures, um, as businesses that could be kind of collaborating with where we actually really are as societies and cultures and collaborating with the world in a way that's less damaging to it and i think mm-hmm. you know we're 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 picking up the lessons but very slowly i saw a great comedian on uh, netflix the other day say you know we're we're trying to heal the earth you know we're we're bringing your own bags to the supermarket now you know that's 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 a good job right you know and <laughs> but that that was it as far as he was concerned, that's all he was doing and he was making a joke of that that you know our efforts have been pretty thin when it comes to taking a substantial chunk out of the way we um, we affect the earth and so it's almost like that first step is to get off the treadmill and say well or even to identify the treadmill and say well what is that thing that i've been doing and and why do i feel so much pressure to be productive or sure there are financial or economic outcomes that are really devastating for for a lot of us and we have to figure that out but even the ability to get off that treadmill and say what is it that I've been doing that hasn't really served myself my family my community country the world Mm -hmm. different levels and you know each one of us can have a different response to that but I guess the ability to think differently about that initially would be a real perspective gainer, you know, it really help us, I think, start the other questions that might say, then what's my response to this? And how do I, how do I just view it differently? Instead of, you know, when, as soon as I get back into it, what hustle am I going to create in order to, you know, get back on top of things, which could be that same treadmill. and, Mm -hmm. And we might find ourselves stopped again sometime for, not necessarily as countries in this case, but maybe in the form of a heart attack in 20 years. You know, you, you kind of got to think through the long game and these opportunities to pause helps you do that.
0: Mm, mm. you talk a lot about storytelling the title of your ted talk writing the story of your future of the future to come share with us the role of storytelling and how you see that adding to this whole process
1: it seems to me that there have been a lot of ways to help people try to identify potential futures careers that sort of thing but they're they're all fairly linear to me they're you know, if you have this Myers-Briggs outcome, you should be a psychologist. Or if you have this strength finders, you could be X, you know, business person or Y teacher. And um, they all felt fairly linear. And, and to me, the more natural approach has been, if you listen to a child, a child will kind of articulate their future in terms of story. And they'll, they'll express many things that they'd like to do and where they'd like to do them. And and we're sort of reared on story. And the, the idea of a narrative is such a powerful thing because I think it's intrinsic to us. It's a language mm. of not just planning, of course, but of life and of history and what I can learn from what's going on and what's going on around me. They obviously engage us in film and, and music. So there's something... Uh, intrinsic and natural about storytelling that I think we've missed when it comes to career planning, probably because we call it career planning. And, uh, you know, that just (laughs) kills the buzz right there. But um, storytelling, I think, is accessible to all of us. And because we, we know how to dream, you know, we know how to either daydream or imagine what it's like to win the lottery or a relationship we'd love to have and where we'd like to have that. And a home we'd like to design and build for ourselves, we often daydream or seriously dream about these things all the time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when it comes to the future or the real world we have to consider, we jump into this linear mode immediately and kill all that narrative or that broader storytelling, which I think then suffocates the broader application of our identity, because I think often our identity is mapped to or mapped into those dreams because they're diverse. They're often divergent and they're, they're storied in the sense that they express much more of the possible context of our life than just the job we do or how we're going to make money. Yeah. So to me, stories give us the ability. Um, and I actually, I actually did this not too far from where you are when I First caught on to the idea, I was taking the coastal steamer up the coast of Norway from Tromso to um, Trondheim. And mm-hmm. um, the, the six days that I had on this boat, I actually started to map out a bunch of identity things that were true about me. And then I thought, instead of just picking a job, because I've heard about one before, why don't I just tell the story of what I'd like my future to look like? Um, And not just one, but a few, because, you know, we don't have control over every aspect of our future. I think we have control over much more than we think we do, but we don't have control over everything. So the ability to imagine a number of different scenarios and the beauty of story means I can take that scenario and not just have an end game, but a broad context in which I'm flowing and getting there by talking about the relationships, the expression of creativity, the possible work I might do, the communities I might be involved in, the space mm-hmm. I might li- live in and visit and be part of. And so you've got a range of contexts to map yourself into through this story, which I think enlivens the imagination and that mm-hmm. it's a natural mechanism for us to talk about story. It places us in a context where we understand our own values and the things that are important to us and how we might apply those values and those identity statements through the course of that story. And it leaves a lot of room for serendipity and for possibility and for divergence because we're given ourselves the permission not just to randomly live forward, but to live according to who we actually are, taking what life might throw at us and be um, dynamic with that. I mean, people talk a lot about pivoting these days where mm. you hit a wall and you have to pivot and go another direction. Um, yeah. But, you know, on the basis of what really? If it's just, you know, a different career, is it just like, okay, now I now have to train in finance or get my MBA because, you know, bankers are the only ones making money in downturns like this, you know? But instead of saying, well, maybe I have to pivot, but I can pivot according to my identity and mm. then continue to make creative movements in a direction that um, is integral to me.
0: Yeah, that's such a rich thought. I I feel like that gives perspective that is so helpful in that it's not about, like you said, reaching for one thing or one picture, is that it's it's moving and it's dynamic and we can dream and um, explore and kind of enjoy the journey instead of be fixed on I have to like take this uh, road and that's where I have to to stay on.
1: What are you looking forward to after COVID nineteen? Yeah, the the lockdown you know here has been so not um, wouldn't say severe. I think it's been a very smart move by the New Zealand government where they put us into. Um, complete isolation. We had to stay in our bubble. We could go in to get food at the grocery store or petrol if we need to. Um, I charged my car with solar, so I didn't need to do that. So going out to the store once a week was like a big deal. And um, so, so that gave tons of room to think about things and to consider. And I think, frankly, I'd gotten to a point in my life where I've been through a number of these different seasons and walls that i've hit and things that i've gone through where in the last probably two or three years have felt like a lot of my identity is moving towards dormancy where it wasn't really firing all cylinders or really thriving in its expression in the world and i put a lot of energy into the space that i live in i i built a home and built a sort of a life around creating space and home, you know, after 30 years of traveling around the world, it seemed um, really important to me to plant myself and to integrate mm-hmm. in a way that I wasn't just living out of my head and theories and philosophies and a spiritual context that was bereft of real connection. Um, I wish everybody had the resources to build their own space, design it, and build it, because it's such a great exercise for one thing but it's such a great um way to kind of embody who you are in a physical space and um and learn from that process and and enjoy the living in it um but then after that i felt like i kind of hit a wall on what else do i do now that i've sort of pulled back from the rest of the world and planted myself in this way what's the expression now because You know, I don't know that I'm introverted or extroverted. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I think they call it an ambivert where you've got, you know, the ability to kind of go on both sides of that coin. And um, and, and yet I noticed that I didn't have the interaction with the community or the world at large that I had in the past. Um, I was learning so many things, but not so much of a context to share it in. Um, Mm -hmm. What do I do next? And so in a sense, COVID-19 helped me to – Um, I mean, I don't, wouldn't consider that I was on a treadmill because I, I wasn't doing much at all, aside from, you know, a little bit of uh, photography and some food writing and collaborating with other chefs on their cookbooks, stuff like that. Um, but this has given me the opportunity to think, okay, I, I need to, um, go deeper in areas that I'm not the expert in anymore. I'm not the one talking or writing. I'm the one learning. Um, mm-hmm. But learning alongside of people that can recognize what I bring to the table and where I've come from. So that's where doing the BA in psychology has come into play, where I'm considering further study and then um, being able to perhaps put a master's on top of that. But more so, not just with the letters, but rather to start asking questions. Um, for instance, most psychology has focused on talk therapy for such a long time. But what we're learning now is that trauma sits in the body and those things that have affected us, affect us physically as well as mentally and probably spiritually. And so I'd like to ask some of those other questions on how do you take what we're learning about our neurology, our physiology, um, our cultures and society, our spiritual connection to all that and um, be able to take that much deeper. And so for me, it's not going to be say, building on the momentum of everything I've done and learned and launching a new cookbook or something like that, but rather learn to go deeper and mm. in a, subjecting myself to an education I've never really had formally like that, um, and hopefully draw my heart and my mind and my now growing ability to connect with the physical world, the real world around me, and, um, and then put that into something useful in the future, hopefully
0: wow, that's that's really inspiring to hear. And I think challenging in the sense that i I really respect the fact that you put yourself in a position where you can learn again. I think it's very easy sometimes, like when I think, "Oh, I, I studied this and I experienced this like I'm an expert, yeah. <laughs> and then full stop. But this yeah. kind of the way that you embody what it truly means to live authentically that you that we can admit oh I need to learn things because times have changed and going back to school and all that I have random questions that I'd like to ask you <laughs> so you you love food so I'm wondering what is in your fridge right now
1: okay um, I made an amazing barbecue sauce out of rhubarb I uh, got a great cut of meat recently as you can see it on my Facebook page uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's a brisket and um, briskets a very tough cut of meat, so it's inexpensive. But if you mm. slow cook it for a number of hours, you can um, turn it into something very tender. And um, it's such a big piece of meat, you could use it for three or four meals. So, in lean times like this, I thought it would be a good idea to cook a brisket. Usually, I'll slow cook it on the barbecue over eight hours, but um, weather not permitting, so I decided to do it in the oven. I cooked mm. it on the rack in the oven with a drip tray underneath with some liquid smoke in it to create that smoky taste, but also some chilies. Then I thought, okay, I need to glaze this and make an interesting barbecue sauce for it. Um, and what was to hand was rhubarb. So mm. went over to the neighbor's garden. I have some rhubarb in mine as well, but I noticed his was thriving and he can't come home right now. So um, uh. I went and grabbed some of his rhubarb with his permission, of course, and uh, (laughs) cut it up, put some chilies in it, some date syrup, and um, a little bit of sushi vinegar, and cooked it down to a sauce. And then once I reduced it enough, I whizzed it with a stick blender. And the barbecue sauce was so amazing that this uh, created a lovely glaze on the meat, but also has this tangy, lovely, fruity flavor with a bit of chili from the green chili and a little sweetness from the date syrup and it's so morish, um, you know, that could easily be my next business is just selling this stuff because I've never <laughs> seen a rhubarb barbecue sauce before.
0: Yeah. I mean, that sounds like an amazing meal to have. So if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say?
1: I would say that we need to consider our 12, 13, 14-year-old children and to give them a better rite of passage in their transition from childhood to adulthood, really focusing on their identity and then finding a way to practically facilitate those dreams and stories for the next at least seven years of their lives and helping them get there, despite perhaps their education, their culture, their opportunities, because I think that powerful connection would eventually change the world.
0: Mm. Well thank you so much, Patrick. I really appreciate spending this time with you and hearing your thoughts which I think are just yeah invaluable wisdom, great perspective on how to navigate and even thrive in in liminal
1: spaces. Thank you Debbie. It's very cool that you're doing this podcast I'm really good, glad to see your um, your particular identity coming out through this and your great questions and your ability to contextualize things for people. Well done.
0: There are so many things to contemplate on from this conversation. Patrick's rich insight on storytelling, creativity, and identity is so refreshing. A revibrating thought for me is the challenge of how I can facilitate a better rite of passage for the upcoming generation to transition from childhood to adulthood and also how I can facilitate the unfolding dreams and stories of people around me from family, friends, co-workers, and my larger community. You can find Patrick's books, Psychotic Inertia, Identity Project, and Kitchen Sink on Amazon and other bookstores, and also check out his website, patrickdudson.co.nz. I hope you can take some time to reflect on a question, a phrase, a thought that resonates with you and is applicable in your own life. Be encompassed by love and always remember that even though none of us can control everything that happens to us, we can all control how we respond.